Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Spencer Lodge podcast with our wonderful partners, Najahi Tribe. Now, check out Najahi. They have been providing services to help educate you guys that are struggling through the pandemic with courses and knowledge around ways that you can pivot your business and move yourself into new opportunities. Now, there's a lot of you out there that are struggling with the pandemic, a lot of people out there being displaced, a lot of people out there losing their jobs, and maybe learning something new is what you need to do right now. So go check out the Najahi tribe. On today's episode of the podcast, I've got Thomas Rodriguez. Now, this is an interesting character. The reason is he's the CEO of Talabat. And tell about a food delivery. And that's something quite a lot of us have been talking about recently. So welcome to the show, Thomas. Uh, thank you for having me. Hi, everybody. Yeah, so just so that all of you know, you're all looking at the screen right now, consuming this content, and you're thinking, how on earth is this guy a CEO? He doesn't look like he's long, long left university. So uh, <laughs> before, before we uh, go into any detail, trust me, he's obviously got very good genes. But anyway, Thomas, you've been in the region not very long. You've, you, you said six months earlier, is that correct? Yeah, something like that. Wow. Okay, so you've lived, you're from Italy, you've lived in the Far East, you're now living here in the Middle East. Um, had you visited this part of the world before? Um, no, I think I came just to Dubai a couple of times as a tourist, uh, but it was a pretty, you know, spontaneous decision, and, and uh, you know, I didn't know much about the region. I'm discovering it uh, now, and I'm really loving it. It's certainly an interesting place to come over here and see what a, what a, an environment is. And I think a lot of people, uh, maybe in Europe or particularly in the United States, they kind of think the Middle East is just one country, don't they? They think it's just all one thing. And they don't realize how diverse and, uh, and, and developed a lot of it is. So for those that don't, that must have been hiding under a rock for the last God knows how long, give us a bit of a background. Who is Taliban? So uh, Talabat is uh, the leading food delivery company in the MENA, uh, Middle East, North Asia. Uh, it's been around for 16 years. Uh, I would say probably it's one of the very first uh, tech companies in the uh, Middle East and actually one of the very first food delivery companies uh, in the world. Um, so it's a, it's a really uh, exciting uh, time to be in for food delivery, I would say. Uh, but also recently uh, we expanded into new verticals like groceries and dark stores, cloud kitchens. So it's not just about food delivery anymore, but it's uh, much, much more than that. Will you describe yourself as a tech company first? Yeah, absolutely. Tech is our core and uh, uh, you know, the, 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 there's a lot that goes into the development of our product, etc. Um, we uh, are expanding our tech team massively. This year we're, having, uh, we're, we're expanding it to 3x. Uh, so uh, definitely tech is our, is our uh, you know, core. Okay. And so when we, when we consider this type of business, there's, there's, there's others in the marketplace as well. There's other companies that do something similar. So what makes Talabat a different type of business to the other companies that, I don't know, can I mention the names of that upsetting you? Maybe the, what we've got out there, there's the Deliveroo's out there and other companies, Zomato and things, stuff like that. You hear of those names? Yeah, I, I think I heard about them. Uh, so, so, uh, yeah, so no, I think, uh, you know, it's, uh, um, you know, different companies and different brands talk to different uh, customers. 
Um, and, uh, you know, I think one of our key value propositions is selection. I think Talabat has the widest selection in the region in terms of uh, restaurants. Uh, another key value proposition is speed. We've been investing in our own delivery uh, tech uh, since several, uh, several years now. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, also affordability, uh, there's, there's quite a few deals you find on Talabat. Now, recently with COVID, uh, we saw customers being much more um, careful about spending. So uh, we, we, we rolled out free deliveries uh, across, across the board. So um, it's, it's a very good value for money. Uh, and right now, we'll say uh, these new verticals like dark stores, that it's a, a completely new thing. I don't know if you're familiar with dark stores, but dark stores is basically a grocery store uh, that has no walk-ins, right? So it's only for delivery. Um, is in a small, small space and inside of that we have pickers that you know pick up the grocery items put them in a bag and the value proposition for the customer is that is a real-time delivery you get your groceries delivered in 15 minutes from when uh, from when you order right um, and I think in this moment a lot of people are looking for groceries um, uh, delivery and and uh, and uh, you know sometimes it's not easy to have it immediately and uh, dark stores really deliver it immediately and and, and this is called Talabat daily and available on the on the Talabat app. Okay, so let's talk about Corona and the impact that it's had. Obviously, you're Italian, and I'm going to go into a bit of your story with you in a minute, but uh, Italy has been hit uh, very badly, um, as well as a few other countries over the course of the last couple of months. And the, the, the coronavirus fear has kind of like gone through every single one of us in our hearts, in our minds, in our brains. And, and the concerns of this, this new, we have these new terms, whether it's social distancing or the new norm and stuff like that. This, obviously, there's opportunities whenever there is crisis, whatever type of war it is, and I almost see it as the invisible war to some degree. Um, there's always opportunities, but opportunities for people that take advantage without compassion, I think, are seen sometimes as either ruthless or opportunists. How do you balance the fact that actually I think people would need your services more now than they had done before, along with marketing your business in a compassionate and empathetic way? Yeah, I think, you know, for us, um, the main two priorities during this, uh, this period are safety um, and, you know, uh, making sure customers, uh, you know, feel confident about ordering. Uh, and we're adopting a series of measures uh, to make it happen. We were among the first to roll out, you know, gloves and masks uh, in the region for riders. Uh, contactless delivery. When you order, the rider will drop the food at your doorstep and, you know, take uh, two steps back and wait for you to pick up the food. Uh, in the dark stores, we're doing temperature checks on all the employees, all the riders. And so when you get your food delivered, you will see a temperature card with the you know temperature check of the of the of the of the rider and the, the people that package uh, your uh, your groceries. Uh, so I think we're investing heavily um, both on the operation side and the tech side to you know uh, provide uh, confidence to the customer. The second part that is very important is making sure restaurants uh, get through this period, uh, uh, you know, on their feet. Uh, because quite frankly, they've been suffering a lot. They've been suffering a lot. Uh, they've been seeing a you know, drastic shutdown of their dining business. 
Um, so, and that, that usually accounts for at least, you know, 60, 70% of the total business. Um, and at the same time, uh, food delivery is there, but uh, we, we've been seeing quite a bit of a drop on food, on food delivery uh, as well. And on two main reasons, the first one is, as we said, you know, customers uh, concerned about safety and we're doing a lot of things to, to, to reassure them. Um, but the second thing is that a lot of people uh, are also, you know, either losing their jobs or think that this would be a very uncertain situation and certain periods. So they're concerned, uh, you know, about the spend. Um, so uh, there's been a series of things we did to help the restaurants on that front. Uh, the first one has been free deliveries. Uh, for a lot of restaurants based on the proximity to the customers, we're doing free delivery and Talabat is bearing the cost of that. Uh, deferral of commissions for the restaurants so that they don't have to pay their commissions to Talabat today, but they have a six month um, um, you know, payment plan. Uh, and, uh, um, and a lot of these uh, initiatives to, 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 to help and support them by waiving some other fees and, and, and things like that. Um, we're also in talk with with the, with the government, uh, you know, to provide them data to support. I know the government's working on relief packages and stuff like that. We're providing them data with, you know, what what's the drop we've been experiencing and stuff like that. So we're really trying to do everything we can because at the end of the day, if the restaurants succeed, we succeed, right? So it's important uh, that we partner together uh, in these tough times. How many restaurants work with you in total? Just to take here in the UAE, for example. Yeah, so unfortunately we don't disclose numbers, but we talk about tens of thousands. Tens of thousands. And how many restaurants out there don't work with you? Is that, is that a much bigger number? No, 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 no. I would say most of the restaurants uh, partner, partner with, with, with Talaba today. Um, and I hope the reason is because we are a good partner to them. We provide a good amount of business. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I would say, as I was saying before, one of the, our key uh, value propositions that we have the biggest selection in the region. So mm. most of the restaurants partner with Talabat. Now, now I work with a few companies and, and one of those companies has restaurants inside Dubai Mall and they didn't have a delivery service and so they have 13 brands and I think six or seven of them are restaurants and they didn't have a, a food delivery service but they're a well-funded business and they've kind of pivoted really, really quickly to try and, to try and bring value. When, when, when the lockdown started and the fears started, did you see a massive uptake from, from the restaurant industry saying, crikey, we need you guys, can you help us quickly? Was, that, was there a, a sharp increase? Yeah, so yeah, we received a lot of inbound requests. Uh, we created a fully virtual uh, you know, onboarding uh, platform and, and process to make sure we could uh, be as fast as possible on all these requests. Um, some other things we did, we waived some activation fees that we used to have, but you know, for this period we, we waived them uh, because we understand that the restaurants are, are, are really suffering. Uh, and, um, and we also encourage some restaurants, because you know, there are some restaurants that um, you know, are not uh, per perfect, you know, not, 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 not the right type of restaurant for delivery. And by that, I mean that are those restaurants where you know, the ambience and the, and the, and the experience of dining, it's, uh, it's sometimes even more important. They have excellent food, but sometimes, you know, is the whole experience what, what counts, right? Um, for these kind of restaurants, they can always create a virtual brand that they still deliver from their kitchen, but maybe it's a kind of some 
type of different foods, still very good quality. Um, so we encourage and help them to, to build these kind of things as well. As one of the questions I was going to ask you, you know, whenever, whenever I order food, it, it isn't always the same as what I get when I'm actually in the restaurant. And so sometimes I'm left um, maybe a little bit disappointed and maybe that's because it's not on the bone china plate with the fancy stuff that goes with it. And do you have, do you have people out there that, that, that complain or are unhappy with that kind of thing? You know, the delivery of food coming not the way that they'd perceived it might. Mm, I can't recall uh, this exactly, uh, but 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 I tell you what I do. I, I, I'm a pretty food uh, food purist as well. I mean, I like to eat my 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 food, and uh, as you said, I'm Italian, so I mean that that that, that even more. Uh, but I I do food delivery almost every day. Uh, sometimes, you know, just, just taking it out from the, from the packaging and putting it into a nice plate at home with your, you know, metal cutleries, etc., gives it a completely different flavor. So that's, that's usually what, what I do. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Interesting. It's just, yeah, there's sometimes, I mean, it, it, I've, I've always found if you order Indian food, it always tastes better when it's delivered. Okay. than it does in the restaurant and then sometimes the flip side with other things. You know, there are restaurants that know this very well. Um, and uh, for example, uh, without naming names, but some that, you know, prepare their fries, uh, you know, and cook them, you know, 30 seconds less because they know that, you know, during the delivery, there's going to be a bit extra cooking that's happening. So there's a lot actually going on on the engineering of food delivery. Um, and some players uh, of, of cloud kitchens, like, uh, you know, for example, Kitopi or, or Sweetheart Kitchens, are uh, working a lot on re-engineering the way we prepare food to make sure it's perfect for uh, for delivery, right? And some 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 brands claim that even if you eat it one hour after, it's still gonna gonna be good because it's been prepared in a in a in a radical uh, different way. But I think the, you're you're completely right. This will be a, there's gonna be a lot of research and a lot of um, optimization of of cooking processes towards that. Let's talk about how social distancing is going to change restaurants. I was talking to a guy at the weekend um, that owns five restaurants in Paris. And obviously he said, he said, look, even once we open again, there's no way in the world we can generate a profitable business out of having 30% occupancy in our restaurants. And, and no way can we do it even at 60% occupancy. You know, we, we make a profit margin on there being a certain amount of covers that are taken every night in these restaurants. So these are kind of high-end restaurants and you would expect, you know, maybe, maybe more profit margin per plate of food or whatever. And he said, this is just no way. When you look at the industry, you look at the restaurant industry, how, how will it survive? Because if you can't fill your restaurant up, that means you can't make enough money to pay the bills and make it profitable. What, what's their alternative? What do they have to do? And how, how do they keep going? Um, look, I think um, there's going to be at some point uh, a return to, to, to normality and uh, how fast that it will be, uh, we, no, one of us, uh, no one of us know. Um, I do think, though, uh, that you know, if, you, if you cannot make it with dining, uh, which I still believe, you know, dining is a kind of experience that you will never be able to disrupt, right? So uh, for as good as you can be with food delivery and uh, groceries and whatever, you know, the experience of going out, eating a nice meal, 
uh, it's still something that's always going to be always going to be there, right? But um, you know, for what we will not make up with with, with dining, I think you know, with 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 food delivery, uh, we'll have to pick up um, in the short term, right? Um, so it's, I think I think food delivery has a massive potential still to grow, despite you know, 16 years of growth in the region. Uh, but in the short term, uh, I think probably um, probably even more. Uh, it's important. Uh, that we help the restaurants uh, grow with us uh, the, the most we can, right? And, and so I think that's uh, there's going to be a huge opportunity. So today, another thing, you know, a lot of people order groceries and cook at home, right? And I have a lot of friends that, you know, never cooked in their life and now they crack an egg in the pan and, 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 and you know, they post it on Instagram like, like it's MasterChef, right? So I think this... <laughs> Uh, falling in love with your own cooked food is gonna disappear very soon right <laughs> because people will get fed up very very fast so i think once that happens uh, it's gonna be a breakfast but but you know jokes apart i also think governments will play um an important an important role there and i think some kind of relief packages would be would be necessary uh overcome a bit you know the fixed costs that that the restaurants have like rent and personnel etc that that's the biggest part of their PL and and uh, and that's why it's so necessary um to have high uh you know occupancy of the of the of the dining um i think re- governments will, will play their part as well and i'm i'm, I'm very sure that the Dubai UAE governments are thinking uh, about these things and they're very well aware of the situation. Okay. Let's talk about money and raising money for businesses like yours. There's been obviously a, a great time in the markets over the course of the last 10 years. We've seen lots of um, people make a lot of money basically, you know, in very simple terms. There's a lot of people sitting there on cash right now thinking, what do I do with it? If you go into fundraising as an entrepreneur uh, at a time like this, with so much uncertainty and people not knowing when the normal is going to come about. Is it, um, is it like almost impossible to raise money at a time like this? Or are the, the, you know, the private equity, the venture capitalists, the, the people that are out there that, that look for, for money, are they sitting on a bank of people that are like, now's an opportunity for us to get invested into organizations at a discount? Um. It's, it's very, very hard to tell. Um, but if we think about 2008, right, uh, when we had uh, the most recent financial crisis, I think the t- period between 2008 and today has been the period where, you know, uh, private uh, fundraising has been increasing a lot, right? So because I think a lot of people were not investing in the financial markets anymore and were investing in the... Um, in the privately owned companies, right? So I think it's it's very hard to predict how do these things evolve, uh, but I I I do believe it's uh, it's always going to be uh, for for you know companies like food delivery, groceries delivery, um, and you know um, startups. Uh, I think it's always going to be uh, with great ideas. I think what's important is the product at the end of the day, right? Not not the period of time uh, in uh, in which you are. Um, and capitals are there, right? Because uh, a lot of people are, you know, taking out their capitals from the financials market and are looking for better opportunities to invest in. Um, but that said, you know, every crisis is different. No one knows how um, it will go. Um, 
and uh, but the one thing that is very uh, good i think is that uh, for uh, for all the players in the ecosystem this is a call for ras rationalization right uh, there's been a lot of players uh, that have been you know spending a lot of money um, you know in very irrational ways uh, and i think uh, that uh, you know this this will will call everybody to be much more rational in the way we do business. That's a really good point, actually. You hadn't thought about that. Okay, tell us about yourself. You're a, an Italian, a proud Italian for sure. You like your food. You come from a, a really wealthy family. You've got a beautiful education provided for you. And, you know, dad's funded everything. And you've had a fantastic life. Or was it a bit different? No, I mean, uh, I come from a very normal family. I went to public university. Uh, so uh, I... I didn't go to any fancy uh, school, uh, and uh, but but you know I've always been uh, fascinated about uh, entrepreneurship and and uh, doing uh, things. And actually, my first job was my own company. So uh, after after uni, I started my my own company, and that was in the market research field. Um, so it was a, it was an app for iPhone to uh, you know, really uh, just ask customers a few questions about uh, what do they do. Um, and I mean, it seems pretty, pretty standard and normal product, nothing really fancy about it. But I think the cool thing is that it was, uh, I think 2004 or something like that. It was uh, or maybe a bit later, like it was when the iPhone 3 just came out, right? Um, so this was a, a pretty mind blowing at the time. And um, yes, we ran it for, with my co-founder, that's also my best friend. Uh, for four years, then we sold it to um, uh, uh, MNC. Um, and then after that... Uh, did you make a lot of money? Uh, I did not, unfortunately. Uh, I, think, I think I could have done much better. Uh, but I was very young and very naive and uh, didn't know much about business. Uh, so going back, I would do things much differently. <laughs> but what a great experience, though, to be brave enough and bold enough. And I think with naivety at a young age, you, you have that kind of bravado, don't we? We kind of we have that gung ho kind of approach when we're younger to, to doing things. But yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's the value you get out of that experience, not the money. It's the experience Absolutely. of starting a business, messing things up, getting things right, looking back and saying, you know what, now I would have done things differently. I just think there's so much value in that type of experience because a lot of people don't even go there from a fear, okay, of getting it wrong. Yeah, that, that was actually the best period of my life. And the other good thing is that was with my best friend. And, and I think it's a, it's a good thing and a bad thing. And like, if I can give an advice, never uh, do a business with your best friend. Uh, because you end up, you know, fighting a lot. Uh, but our relationship uh, came out much stronger after that. <laughs> so, uh, but but you know, it was a, it was a really fantastic. I, I do so for 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 everybody that's always thinking about, you know, should I have an entrepreneurial, uh, you know, event in my life? Absolutely yes. That no matter how much money you make or you will never make or whatever, the fun you have in doing that is is absolutely uh, priceless. Tell me how you adapted then, because you went you went from that to then essentially being employed. Is that correct? Yeah, so I worked for a venture capital firm for uh, two years um, in Europe, um, and then there was this little startup that was uh, coming up, uh, and that was called Uber, uh, and so and that was two thousand and twelve, 
Um, and, and, and what happened is that uh, I was doing due diligence on a, a competitor of Uber that's called Chaffet Privé in, in France. I think they're still around. So I knew everything about, about the industry. And so I knew that it that, that, that was big potential. Um, so I decided to, to join them to launch uh, Italy as a, as a market. Um, and spent some time in Europe launching few few cities. That that was a truly fantastic uh, period. Uh, we were like 120 people in the company total globally, um, and we had less than eight million dollars in the bank account. So so it was uh, it was very very early. There was no um, you know Uber X. There was just uh, Uber Black. So it was kind of a, just a fancy thing to bring your friends around the parties. Something like that, that 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 was Uber at the time. Um, and uh, but but it was a, a crazy crazy uh, period. And I remember that the year after that, Google invested uh, and they invested two hundred fifty million uh, in Uber. And um, I remember Travis, the CEO at the time, said, uh, guys, we just made a gigantic round. We'll not have to fundraise anymore in our entire life, right? And then, and then this became, uh, uh, you know, 250 million back then seemed like a lot of money. But then, you know, all the players around the world started raising billions and billions and billions and became a multi-billion dollar battle, right, sharing around the world. So it's been a crazy, crazy ride. When you went from your own startup, being a, being a youngster, and then you went to work for somebody else, that venture capital firm. What was it like having a boss? Was that something you adapted to easily or was it a little bit weird, you know, someone telling you what to do? Uh, I, th I think you're pretty spot on. I had a lot of fights with my first boss. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but then uh, I remember one discussion that I had with, uh, so Ryan Grace who was the COO at Uber. And one day he told me something that really stuck in my mind forever. He told me, um, because I'm always complaining about my boss. And he told me, you know, every time you point a finger to someone, you're pointing three fingers at you, right? And, and uh, so then I started realizing that I had a lot to learn. Um, and actually, I'm so thankful of having found so many amazing managers uh, in my career that became my mentors. Uh, and really taught me a lot. I think this, this uh, you know, 10 years after that of corporate experience, I would say, well, always startup, never really corporate, but made me meet truly, truly amazing people in my path. Wow. I find that really interesting how that, that adapted. You could look back and so, so many great mentors that were probably, I bet they weren't a huge amount older than you because they were probably young, young, youngish people themselves too. Would that be fair? Uh, yeah, well, I think my manager had two years more than me, but then her manager was like 24. So, so Uber was, was pretty strange, right? Because you had all these people that were there since the beginning. Maybe they were interns and then became COO or, or stuff like that. So it's like when, when a company grows from 100 to 20,000 people in four years, I mean, I think these are normal things that happen. But uh, at the end of the day, what, what I learned is that no matter how, how young one person is, uh, if that person is smart, is gonna uh, is gonna learn a lot on the job and and deliver. At the end of the day, no one is born manager, right? Everybody has to learn. Um, and uh, uh, there are people that use that opportunity and people that don't. When you when you finished university and you went through your career, did you take further studies? Did you, you know, go off and study an MBA? Did you do management courses? Did you or did, was everything that you learned literally taught on the job after uni? 
Uh, I did an MBA uh, in Paris, uh, uh, Collège des Ingenieurs. It's not very famous outside of, uh, of, uh, of Europe. Uh, it's, uh, it's only on scholarship. Um, and uh, that was extremely, extremely useful because I'm an engineer as a background. And um, that really opened up my mind in terms of, you know, building businesses and, and stuff like that. Yeah, a lot of people see the value in doing MBAs. And then when you think about the people that you've worked with over the years, who's that one person that you look at and, and that, that person that inspired you the most? Who was that person? I think, I think several people. Um, I think the CEOs of the companies I work for were always extremely, extremely inspirational. Um, I think, uh, so uh, today, you know, Talabat belongs to a group uh, that is called Delivery Hero. Yeah. Uh, I think Niklas, who's the CEO of Delivery Hero, is a very inspirational person. Uh, what I really like about him is that is uh, not, um, so is aggressive in the sense of like, you know, uh, the good side, the, the good aggressive type. Uh, but what it does very well is like he spots the opportunities and uh, he always finds ways uh, to, to, to put companies and people uh, together and to get the best out of uh, any opportunity by collaborating rather than fighting head to head, right? Um, I think he's been extremely efficient. If you look at how Delivery Hero has been growing over the years through a lot of acquisitions, M&As, et cetera, et cetera, uh, it's probably been the most capital efficient company across the whole ride sharing or food delivery space with, with, with much less capital than anyone else, uh, it builds such a, 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 a big company, right? So I think what's really inspiring about him is that he's very smart um, in building value, right? So it's not, it's not just, and, and other founders, other CEOs I saw in the past are, are so focused on you know, killing everybody else and you know, just um, uh, going at war basically with with, with every competitor and, and with anyone you have on the ground that they don't realize how much money they're spending in a silly way uh, that doesn't that doesn't make much sense, right? So, in these terms, I I, th I think Nicholas is truly truly inspirational for for that. Cool, what a great boss to have. When you see news coming out like, um, I don't know, Bayut and Dubizzle merging, which came out in the news recently to create a, uni a unicorn business, billion dollar business here in this part of the world. How that kind of news at a time like this, that must be very um, confidence giving for a lot of people out there to see that there's positivity around the marketplace. You know, that's a, that's a big announcement for a unicorn to be announced. Do you see that as, as being something that's very reassuring to the market? Um, I think uh, depending on, on, on the industry you're in, consolidation is something that uh, happens and will, will keep happening. I think also in food delivery, uh, I don't know if you, if you saw it yesterday, uh, Uber Eats announced they will uh, pull out of, of MENA. Um, so um, I think, I think these, these things happen because companies realize uh, that it's better to invest money in building amazing product and building amazing customer experience uh, rather than you know, focusing on fighting uh, kind of each other. Um, 
and uh, I think is a good sign uh, for the market uh, at the end of the day. Um, we're not anymore in those kind of industries where you know people want to just gain all the market to you know uh, take advantage of it. Like that's not the word that it was like 20, 20 years ago, right? So today, uh, all the tech companies have to invest a lot of money. To, to build amazing customer experience. That, that's what we have, uh, we have to do, right? Uh, so as long as we can focus on that mission, uh, these things I think are, are positive. Mm, I agree with that. The, you're going through a period of expansion. A couple of questions before we finish. You're going through a period of expansion and growing your business at the moment. And obviously you can acquire other businesses along, along the way, but also you're gonna need to continue to find really good people to work within your company. Is it, is it a big challenge finding the right kind of talent in this part of the world for what you're trying to build? Or do you think there's an abundance of really good people? And if you do, how do you get them? That's a very good question. Um, I think we're very lucky uh, at Talabat, uh, especially recently. Um, I think we have a very good um, employer branding. Uh, we've been able to attract truly, truly amazing people. Uh, we are extremely diversified. Uh, I will have to check, but I think we have uh, in the leadership team, say my uh, minus one and minus two, we have like 17 different nationalities, right? Uh, so it's a super uh, diverse team. Um, and, and in the whole company, I think more than 30 or something like that. Uh, so, so, so I think, you know, when you have a, such a diverse team, it's very good because Every, making a diverse team work together sometimes is very hard at the beginning, but once they, they can do it, there's no distance they can't cover, right? Because people think in different ways and always find great solutions to different problems, right? Um, and all these people were recruited locally. Uh, we have very, very few people that were hired. Uh, you know, of course, we, you know, not born here, but, you know, they were already working here, already available uh, talent in, in the region. What I'm super amazed about local talent um, is, is uh, female leaders. Like, like the strongest leaders I have uh, are, are, um, are, are female, like in, the, in, in our company and from, from, from the region. So uh, it's, uh, it's, it's truly, truly amazing. I have five businesses that, and they're all run by women. Yeah, exactly. exactly. I, don't know, I don't know what it is, but you know what? Good men are good men. Good women are great women. That's what Absolutely. I've learned. And, and it's been, it, it, I don't think we'd have been able to expand the businesses that we have without them. And a lot of people, you know, have over the years been critical, but I, I, in my experience, I find them typically, they tend to be more organized. They actually tend to be less emotional. I also find that there's, if ever, I'm, I'm not sitting yet, but I hardly see ever eager with women. It doesn't seem to be a player when, when it does seem to be a bit more of that with men. Do you agree? Well, I mean, it's, it's hard to, you know, generalize and, and, and everything, you know. Yeah, I agree with that. It's just, uh, you know, I was really, really uh, impressed by, by, by the women we have in our, in our organization, right? And then the ones we've been recruiting uh, across across the country, we actually did a, a very nice video for uh, International Woman Women's Day uh, a few weeks back, uh, and there are a lot of very interesting stories across across Talabat. Yeah, fantastic, fantastic. Okay, last couple of things before we finish. What football team do you support? 
Okay, so this this uh, I know I will disappoint you, uh, but I think I'm the only Italian in the world that doesn't like football. <laughs> so <laughs> no, we're gonna we're gonna lose all the Italian customers on Talabat. I know because of that now. <laughs> but I just lost my whole Italian audience as well. My <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> Why would you interview him? <laughs> <laughs> So you're not a football fan, are you? Uh, I mean, what's Italy got? Italy's number two sport, I think, is basketball and then motor racing. I think. Do you do you like any of that kind of stuff? So you know what? I I'm I'm very keen on on practicing sport. I'm a very active person. Uh, I like I like practicing a lot of sports, but I just don't like following or watching sports. I I don't know. It's something something in me, right? It's just I can't sit on a couch and watch a, a game. I I. It just it just uh, doesn't doesn't resonate with me. It's just sorry, I'm I'm built wrong. I know. <laughs> you, you you exercise a lot. What kind of stuff do you do to relax? Then what kind of exercise? You a cyclist, runner? What what do you do? I cycle. Um, I used to go to Alcudra before uh, before the lockdown quite quite a bit. Uh, I like sailing dinghies mainly. You know, uh, lasers and stuff and stuff like that. Um, Sometimes dance uh, and, and 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 things like that. Yeah. Yeah. You consider yourself a bit of a workaholic? Uh, I love working. I like at odd times as well. But sometimes I also take breaks during the day, right? So I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of fle flexible work hours, right? I, I think that in the future and also today, no one will need to have, you know, a, a nine to six type of schedule, but uh, much, much more flexible. Uh, and I think if you enjoy your work, it's kind of... Um, it will happen, right? You will tend to work uh, a lot. Some of my staff are being more productive working from home than they are going to the office. Have you seen that in your business too? Absolutely. That, that, that's truly amazing. I think we're all worried about it. Uh, but, you know, the pace of the organization has improved a lot since we moved remotely. And, and I think people just probably like it to stay at home a bit more. Uh, but what do I think is that um, they, they uh, I, I don't know. It's, so we, we have a lot of people that actually reached out and asked me, hey, can we stay at home even when the lockdown is over, right? <laughs> it's like this, this is happening. Another example is uh, a contact center, right? So our customer care was, is run uh, in a contact center. So unfortunately, with the lockdown, et cetera, we had to uh, close the contact center. And all the agents today are working from home. Um, their productivity increased really, really a lot. We were very worried about, you know, you don't have a supervisor that goes around uh, and whatever. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, the, the productivity increased really, really a lot. Fantastic. Sorry, Tell someone's near the door. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us, thank you so much for your time today. I've really enjoyed you taking a bit of your time out of your diary to come and share your story with us and let us know a little bit more about the business of Talibat and. Um, you being the man behind the scenes. If people want to ever engage with you, can they follow you on social media in some way? Can they follow you? Can they get updates from you on LinkedIn? Where, 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 where do you share information? Yeah, I think, I think the best would be, would be LinkedIn. Um, yeah. Okay, so they can find you on LinkedIn. I'll make sure that I add the link onto the, the end of this podcast as well. Okay, well, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. A CEO that's a cyclist as well. He's got people working from home and they're more efficient. What takeaways have you had from listening to this conversation? What kind of ideas has it given you maybe when you think about your business? And if you're a young entrepreneur out there, 
Well, there you go. Thomas did it straight out of university, set a business up all those years ago, and then went on to even greater things along the way. Hopefully you've enjoyed this show. Check out and follow our other episodes. Remember, okay, leaving us a comment on SoundCloud or Stitcher or Apple uh, iTunes, sorry, uh, Apple Podcasts will enable us to get more people to see this content. So please make sure you do. Thanks very much and we'll see you soon. Thank <laughs> you.